Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, welcome back to our Wednesday night live broadcast from Facebook and uh, we're Oikos Ministries. I'm your host, Terrell Abair. We're going to be going through our book, Creation of Marriage. Been doing that for several weeks now. Uh, tonight, we will be uh, talking about the subject of work. We've been taking all of the things we could glean from the very first chapters of Genesis to apply them to our covenant of marriage. I'm not going to go back through all of what we've done. You can go back and watch those uh, videos for yourself at another time. But for tonight, we're going to talk about the subject of work. And so uh, I pray that this will bless you. So if you would get right down to it, let's uh, we're in chapter eight of the book. If you don't have a book, you can go to our website, www.housechurchesusa.com and uh, get in there in the book section and scroll down to Creation of Marriage and you can read it for free right there online. So help yourself and uh, hope you'll follow along and hope you'll read through this book and hope it'll help your marriage. We'll be praying that way. We don't want to just talk to hear ourselves talk. We're praying that we'll see good fruit from this and some relationships healed. So we're in chapter eight and uh, I can tell you now that, um, you know, we need to understand and make a distinction that so many of us get so caught up in our work, it becomes who we are. And as Christians, we're to be defined by our Christianity. We are who we are is defined by our God and what we do is something else. And so I believe we have to be before we do. And so to in order to be Christian. We can't let our work define us. But if we understand the balance of work and the fact that work has been redeemed, let's read a verse right there at the bottom of chapter 8 there. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I can tell you, before I became a Christian, I always kept a job. I, I worked, but I, I had jobs and I always was a productive uh, in my jobs. But I was pretty lazy, didn't want to do that, but I knew that's the only way money would come. And so I would go to my job. I was not a good employee. I just kept a job. And uh, after I became a Christian, I tell you, I was energized by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And I became a new creature and I became a productive man. And I can tell you right now, I love to work. I love work. I like to get after it. I like to see, a, a accomplish things, build things. I love to build stuff. And it's just a, a blessing. I just can't imagine just sitting around. And so it says, by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, when I consider the idea that work is redeemed now, God wants, uh, has, has redeemed you for a good work. Now, I know the age old discussion comes up in argument. Uh, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. I get it, man. I totally, totally, I've gotten way more bold since I wrote this book. And I'm going to just say what I'm going to say that we're not saved by, by works, but I'm going to tell you right now, 
try to stay saved without them. You will, they will keep you. If God has given you a, a work to do, then we must do it. And one of the most particular or in, uh, interesting works that I, I read in the scripture in uh, Matthew five, we all have read the Beatitudes. If you've read any scripture at all, you've read the great sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who uh, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We goes on through these nine Beatitudes, nine blessings, nine character references, if you would. And he called them the Beatitudes. And he goes on to say, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A city that's set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick so it may give light to all who are in the house and they may see your good works and glorify God. What good works? The good work of the character of God coming out of you because of the new birth. We are his workmanship. He's He's caused us. This character is right in the DNA of the new birth. And Jesus himself calls it a good work to shine forth that kind of character. And I'm going to tell you, you don't shine that sitting on the couch eating Doritos looking at Oprah. It's time to get up and do something for God. Get a life, man. And we just sit there. I can't understand it. And now we're in a generation of video game. People sit on a video game. And and, and literally, what for? You get, you, I racked up a million points. And what are they going to give you? Who's going to give you food for them points? Who's going to pay the light bill with? I got these points on Game of Thrones. It'll, it'll absolutely take. What'll it do for you? Nothing, nothing, zero. Please understand me. It's time we understand, put, put our good works into something to shine the DNA of God. We have been partakers of the divine nature through the new birth and the shining light of Jesus is a good work that we are just literally reflecting his glory is a good work. Come on, man. So we'll start from there and. Let's get into this. Let's uh, in, in Genesis chapter two. <clears throat> we've talked much in chapter one. We're going to move on to chapter two. And he said, thus, the heavens and the earth and all of the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of the work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all of his work, which he had, which God had created and made. So for six days, God worked and then he rested. We talked about this a little bit last week. And the Bible says, and uh, I think it's in Exodus 32 or 33. It says that he rested and was refreshed. And I just think that's a marvelous thought that God rested and was refreshed. So God worked six days and he rested one. I look at people today and we don't want to work. We just don't want to do anything. And there's something has gone wrong in our thinking here. There's something woefully wrong in our thinking and our work ethic has gone way down. We, we, we seem unproductive. Folks just do not want to work. And it says that the, that the, uh, the righteous eat to the satisfy, satisfying of the soul, but the, the, the belly of the slothful shall lack. And so basically you fit, you, you, you can sit around doing nothing and just feel like you're hungry all the time eating. And you're never satisfied. You're just eating this comfort food, just pig it out, porking out. But the belly, the righteous eat to the satisfying of the soul. I mean, we, 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 we eat to get fuel so we can do something, not so we can sit there and, and, and just keep filling our belly up. Keep reading with me now. 
In Genesis 2, 8 through 15, we're going to get down to where I get the point about work. Now, remember, we're talking about a covenant of marriage. We're talking about vows that we would make to our spouse. Think this through. I bet there's some folks out there saying, man, I wish I'd had this vow written in there before I got married. Listen to it carefully. Watch. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to the garden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is uh, Pishon. It is one of uh, which uh, skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, to work it and to guard it. He put him in a place. He set him in a place with borders and boundaries, places that literally could identify where the man was. He knew where he was and he knew what he was about. He had a place and now he had a function, dress or tend this garden and guard it, watch over it, make it productive. There was food there. There was productivity there. And boy, if you really look at these rivers names, it really gets exciting. Watch. Uh, the first one, Pishon, in, it, it means increase. Gihon means bursting forth. Hidekel means rapid, fast activity. And Euphrates means fruitfulness. Boy, every one of these tend to, to, to the thought of really being productive in, in, in dressing and keeping the garden, that there would be a productivity, that there was an accomplishment. You look, God worked six days and on the seventh, he rested and looked back at all the things that he had done and he reflected on it and said, it is good. And you and I need to understand that one of the great principles of worship isn't to go in there and sing a bunch of songs, but it's really reflection before God saying, it was good. I did what you, I did. I was where you put me and I did what you told me. It's good. Boy, if we can look back on that and really take a load off, really rest uh, from our labors and really look at and evaluate because some of us have lost where we are now. We don't even know where we are. Don't know what we're about. We're beating the air. We're flailing <clears throat> or we're, worse than that. We're doing nothing. We're either running wide open uh, and getting nothing done or we're doing nothing and couldn't care less about doing anything. This is a terrible thing. So uh, we'll look it through in the first point that I want to make or some of the observation is that the the whole boundary where man was set. And, and before I go on, let me just say this about boundary. Well, I'll cover it in a minute. Let's go back. Um, God planted a garden that produced food. If you don't work, you're not going to eat. It's as simple as that. Now, in America, there's been a perversion of this whole idea and concept. In America now, we are dealing with a situation where people literally are paid for bad behavior. You sit around and do nothing. And it's really the greatest, grossest enslavement that's ever been ever. It literally steals the life and the ambition of a person, takes it right away. If you don't think that 
capitalism is Christian. There are people who try to make a case for that and say communism is the right economy. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. I'm telling you, capitalism is a biblical principle. Jesus himself taught it. And so if we would look at the idea of buying, selling, trading, that we do work and we get gain from that. Now, whether it is produce from the ground or whether we uh, earn money through uh, um in industry or, 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 or retail or whatever other craft or whatever you might go into and get receive money for it and then buy your food. What, that, that's all capitalism. It's all economy and that's all okay. But the fact is productive. If your life is not productive at some point, you look at yourself and say, what am I here for? It's depressing. It just sucks the life out of you. And as a matter of fact, I love what Gordon McDonald wrote in his book, uh, Ordering Your Private World. He said that unscheduled time will flow to your weaknesses. You will do what you're worst at when you're just sitting around. It's just as simple as that. And so now we know why uh, so many bad things happen. You get unproductive people who are not working, not doing a thing, just sitting around. They're going to do what they're worst at. And it's going to be uh, a terrible end. Now, another thing we'll point out, there were two trees in the garden. And we've talked about this, these two particular trees. One was the tree of life and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I want to tell you and suggest to you this. Now, first, the, the tree of life would be the, the tree that I believe it represents the cross. It represents really the, the feeding of the spiritual life of man. Um, it was there. Man could eat freely from it. There was no there was no keep off sign on this thing. Man could eat of the tree of life all he wanted. But he started looking at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he would prefer the knowledge of good and evil over life. And so we're here now. I know if you, I, we've talked about this a little bit in other sessions, but it's no accident that that Apple computer has a bite bitten out of it. That is not an accident. Literally, it is a picture of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they know it. It's literally a modern tower of Babel. It is a it is a way to distract men, to fill fill men with forbidden knowledge. In most cases, forbidden knowledge. There are things God does not want you to know. And I'm going to take this further, and I'll just tell you this. One of the problems with us today, uh, uh, there, there's another great book out there called The Overload Syndrome, and that many people... Have, or we're in so so many modern overloads that we are literally uh, in technology overload. Where I mean, the average person knows how to work so like something like thirty thousand technology gadgets. It's it just it's just and when we don't realize what you start thinking about. I said, well, yeah, it's there. We're we're always doing something with technology, and we're. But the forbidden knowledge, there are realms that God, we can't process all the information. We just cannot do it. Now, I know we have word processors and, and computers that generate all, and go through all this stuff and, and come to conclusion. But let me tell you something. That stuff is preset and they're literally funneling your conclusions to their end. And you better understand, we have literally been robbed of thinking by the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And look, it's not just evil. We can occupy our mind with the knowledge of good and still not have the tree of life. So you can read a bunch of Bible even. You can get obsessed with Bible and not have life. This is a fact. This is a terrible condition. And we call it religious. And you go at it long enough, you'll be a religious devil. 
head full of Bible and a heart full of uh, pride. That's a terrible condition. So the tree of knowledge was in there. Well, guess what tree man chose to eat from? Look, this is problematic. When we leave off doing what God tells us to do, we will gravitate toward other things that he told us not to do, which is forbidden knowledge. The greatest euphoric condition in the human existence is to know something new. This is a true thing. And we talked about this somewhat in in communication or, or when we were talking about early on in the, 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 the man and the woman and, and their communication to each other. But there's a word that's thrown around. I'll, I'm going to go here. Let, let me just say this. There is a word thrown around all the time called the F-bomb. Uh, y'all know what that means. All right. Fornication under carnal knowledge. It's an acronym, a Puritan law word, fornication under carnal knowledge. That's what it stood for. And now it's become the throw it around word everywhere. And so literally the idea of carnal knowledge and literally illegal relationship, uh, uh, forbidden relationship, if you would, and we, this is the, probably the, the, the word of choice for most filler language with every person who's too dumb to have something intelligent to say. We drop F-bombs. That's what they think comedy is now. You throw some F-bombs and it's not fun. It's nothing funny about it. We have been eating at the knowledge of the tree of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil for so long now. We have lost the tree of life. We don't have life in ourselves. We think knowledge is power and knowledge becomes the end in itself. And it's preconceived knowledge is literally funneling you to think the way Steve Jobs wants you to think. Or somebody else, whoever they are, those ones. Stay with me. There were two trees there. The other tree is the tree of life. Now, when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, fasting for 40 days. First thing the devil came to him and said, if you be the son of God. Now think about this. The first temptation and the common denominator in temptation is if you be the son of God. He wanted him to doubt who he was because God had already declared, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now the devil said, if you be the son of God, the first thing the devil wants to do is cast aspersions on who you are. Remember, you have to be before you do. And unless we settle our identity in God and know who we are and get confident in that, that I'm a child of the God of God. I am in the house of the Lord. I'm in his family. I am literally privileged to be adopted into the kingdom of God. I am part of it. I call him father. He calls me son. And the devil will attack this. Have you ever doubted? Well, I guess you have. Have you ever had uh, uh, all these these thoughts where well, I can't be, I'm not any good, I'm no good, oh, all that'll come at you, man. Listen, this is the devil. Jesus, he come to Jesus. If you be the son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by, by bread, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here we have it, the biggest, clearest picture you could get. He said, command the stones be made bread. Feed your flesh, Jesus. Jesus said, man, I only live by the every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, he wasn't denying the existence of a need for feeding the, the flesh. But he said, my words are spirit and the spirit is life. 
When you get the word of God coming into you, it'll make you alive. It is the tree of life. And when it comes past to just stuffing your head full of knowledge, but as you meditate on and seek God in the, in the knowledge of his word, then all of a sudden the spirit of revelation and understanding comes. Your eyes of your understanding open and man, it's a whole, it's a brand new day. It's life giving. It's life changing. It's the tree of life. But we get distracted and we eat at the tree of knowledge. And you think about how often that the tree of knowledge will call you out of prayer, call you out of Bible study, call you out of fellowship, call you out of your task, call you out of witnessing, call you out of uh, what God has given you to do. And the tree of knowledge is say, come over here, come over here. Let me distract you for a minute. Did you know that uh, that the, the World Economic Forum is meeting on something? <gasps> Did you know Joe Biden said another gap? <gasps> oh. Did you know? Uh, a trans swimmer is, is huh? and all of a sudden we're looking at the tree of knowledge and what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Nothing. It's got nothing to do with nothing. Stay focused on the tree of life. Live, man. Don't get caught up. God has put you in a place if you're a Christian and he's given you something to do. And if we know that, if we understand that, we will be productive people all of our lives. And I'll tell you right now, it'll be fun productivity too. It is exciting productivity. It's life-giving productivity. It's not just drudgery. Work's been redeemed. Yeah, we used to work by the sweat of our brow. I still do. I sweat and love every second of it. Most folks don't like to work with me. They're glad I'm getting older. That don't mean I can't wear you out. It just means I love to work. Let's do this. All right. So. I want to tell you another thing about this. It, it, when we learn our, 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 our function. See, God gives us. He puts us in a place. He gives us boundaries. He sets those boundaries. You know, I think we, we need we need to really, really pause here in our child rearing. We talked a little bit about this. One of the key things that you must give a child is boundary. If a child grabs something on the table that you didn't want them to grab and you just slap them, you are wrong. But if you've instructed that child, do not touch that glass of water, baby. And they look at you like these demons are bound to do. Slap that child. I ain't about all that. What, what is that thing they calling now? This, what, that, that, what do they call it? Gentle parroting. Oh, yeah, that's what we need. Gentile parroting. Now, that's what we ought to change that to. It's just that's from the world. Look, sometimes you just got to put a little slap on that hand and boy, they understand. Well, you never explained it that way before. Yeah. Oh, OK, I get it. If I do that, pain comes. You know, we learn obedience by the things we suffer. <laughs> Not by the thing we don't. It's hard to learn obedience in Baskin and Robbins. There ain't no suffering in there. It's just. But I'll tell you right now, you get a good whooping. Oh. Oh, you mean yes, ma'am. OK, now I get it. Yes, ma'am. By the time that stuff stops stinging, you yes, ma'am, and all day long. I still yes, ma'am, people. And them switches was just. We need some more switching. We're in Walmart, well, all you ought to hear in Walmart is. 
be beautiful music right now. Be better than them little uh, future Democrats screaming like an Antifa mob. You see, whenever we learn what God has given us, especially at the tree of life, look, when you begin to, if you're a Christian, God has told you to actively engage in the Great Commission. If everything about your life is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, think about this. No matter what God gives you to do, no matter what your profession, what your task, think of how exciting the adventure becomes when you begin to share Christ with every person you meet. You say, man, them people, my job, they a bunch of heathens. Well, then you on the mission field, buddy. Share Jesus. Show them the good news. Tell them the good news. You say, well, they might fire me. Good, you'll get another job with some more heathens, but tell them the good news. Tell them about Jesus. What a great adventure. What an exciting adventure that everywhere you go, you talk about what God has done for you. You know, you, you, you sit around the water cooler and you, you go around the, 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 the break room and you, you hear people talking about their hobbies and what they're doing and their, 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 their sins and all this other telling their joke. Man, when you say, well, let me tell y'all what. Jesus Christ saved me. And you give them your testimony right there on the spot. You know, you know how that the whole room just goes hush. They don't know what to do with that. Well, I, I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, I, you know, I. Well, so what? Jesus saved me. Now he needs to save you because I heard what you said a while ago. You need to be saved. You need to be saved from you being a Baptist or a Catholic or whatever other sin and religion you in. Get saved and become a Christian. Follow Jesus. You see, whenever your work has Christ, you look, as a Christian, we are Christocentric. Everything about us is about Jesus. We live for Jesus. And wherever we go, whatever we do, we're working for him. Come on, man. It changes every perspective. Think right about it. You've got to, that's what repentance means. Change how you're thinking. You say, well, I don't like my job. Well, you better love Jesus. Well, I don't love this job. It's hard work. Well, be happy about it. Huh? I can show you some harder work. I promise you. And I can show you poverty. I can bring you to some extreme poverty. And maybe you would prefer that. Maybe you'd rather be starving to death and toting water up a hill somewhere. Well, no, I want the government to give me a check. Well, you, oh, help me now. Let's keep moving. You see, boundaries, let's get back to that for a minute. Boundaries define a limit. They set, they tell you where you are. I I, I was in the Masamari game reserve in in, in Kenya, and we came to this spot. It's like out in the, I mean, you look around, there was nothing, nowhere, nowhere. There's this marker that says Tanzania. Good to know. <laughs> I'm like, everything around you looked exactly the same. Something, though, there was telling us the geographical, it put a placement. Let me tell you something. If you don't know your boundaries, it is a frightening thing. And folks, one of the greatest things that could ever happen to you, man, the first thing God did for man, he placed boundaries. He showed him the boundaries. He outlined, this is your places. And he placed it. He set the man in those boundaries. And we need to do the same thing for our children. I think there's so many of us who don't know boundary. 
We, you see, boundaries don't just limit us. They just tell us where they are. It doesn't necessarily set a limit. It just, it just shows us where we are. I prefer a limit because let me tell you this. One of the things we need to confess and admit, we do have limits. This is part of our problem right now. We buy into the tree of knowledge and start multitasking and we get into every modern overload that you can get into. We're on information overload. We're on technology overload. We're on debt overload. Come on, I can just keep on rattling off. We are so overloaded that our minds never rest. We never disengage. We're so afraid that if we ever stop, we may hear the voice of God. We don't know what to do with dead air, quiet time. We don't know how to meditate. We don't know how to sit still. We just don't know how. We've lost it. When we talk about work, though, and have a border and a boundary, and God begins to set man in a place where he is going to work. Now, all of us go out and we try to discover our career paths and all this stuff. And so what do we do? We run right to the world to tell us what our career path will be. I tell you, that's okay. Trades and crafts. And uh, now I'm, I'm getting so opposed to technology crafts that I just, I, I don't even know. I don't, I, it's, I, I really look at the... One guy calls school system now the, the cartels, the school cartels. Uh, so it's, it's literally, it's not learning anymore. It's indoctrination and we're, we've, we've ceased to think. We're not producing real thinkers anymore. We, 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 we produce people who can pass tests, but they can't think. They can't solve problem. They can't work. They can't physically get into anything and do it. And this is where we need to get to. The physical engage, we have to employ ourselves and engage. And so when we have boundary, this is one of the greatest things you can teach your children because one of the first thing God did for the man, he put him in a boundary. If you've never been lost in the woods, you can't, you, you, if you ever have, you can appreciate what I'm saying. I'm telling you right now, you get turned around in these Louisiana swamps and it don't take long. Everything looks just alike. You know what the first thing you want to do is? Run. And we don't know where we're running to, but it's run to hurry and get to something familiar. Boundary. Oh, I recognize the boundary. If we don't understand our boundary, we're going to live in fear. You will, you know, the flight or a fight thing. You're going to always be in flight because you don't know where you are. This is a big old world. And if you don't know your place in it, and don't know who you are or what you're about, you will be lost all your life. Stay with me. We're getting to the work episodes here. We're going to get to it. So, the Bible says that, you know, in the book of Proverbs, it says, just as a bird that wanders from, that wanders from its nest, so is a man that wanders from his place. You know, too often is the case we just pull up roots. You know, the old rolling stone gathers no moss kind of thing. We pull up roots. We're in a transient society now. We're always plucking up and moving. I mean, move, 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 move. And we never accomplish anything. And all these, these transitions, we're in perpetual transition. And we never just really get to work and, grow, and, and really grow something there. Learn how to do something. And I, let me just say this right in here. I don't care if your job's in technology, if your job is in industry or corporate America. You may have a white collar job or whatever. You know what I would suggest to you? Always do something that makes you deal with the earth. 
dig you up a little garden and plant some earth, plant you a few trees, take care of a few things. Absolutely. Actually make yourself get out there and breathe some air. Look at some sunshine. <clears throat> get out of the, uh, the out of the cold structures of concrete and mortar. And work. <clears throat> Sweat a little bit. Enjoy it. Nothing like it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I want to tell you another thing about these boundaries in Eden. They were all river boundaries. They were all flowing rivers. There's a river in the book of Revelation called the, it comes right out of the throne of God. <clears throat> it's called the river of life. I really believe that the tree of life is right out there, centered in this. Look, it proceedeth right out of the throne of God, a river flowing out of the throne of God. Whatever your occupation may be, you need to let your life be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're the president of the United States, a prime minister, politician, judge. I don't care if you're a, a teacher or a blue collar man or ditch digger, the sanitary worker. I don't care what your function is. If you are yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you can have the life of God flowing in you. I remember a guy who was a laborer in a job I was on. He was so full of Jesus. He loved God. And I remember he had a little New Testament he kept in his pocket and he was pushing that broom one day. I was sitting on a crane watching him. He's pushing that broom. You could just tell this man was so aglow with Jesus. He was pushing that broom and he'd stop and he'd take that little New Testament. He'd look around and he'd read him a verse. He'd put it in there and you'd just see. He was just so happy to be there. That broom didn't mean nothing to him. He was just glad to be there. He was just so glad to have Jesus. That just ministered to me. This man took a mundane task and loved every second of it. Ain't that good? Come on. Now let's get down to this because of why we work. Why do we work? To produce something. Why do we produce something? So we can eat. So we can buy clothing. So we can provide shelter. We work to produce. That's what we do. All right? Now, I'm trying to set a, and establish the fact that if we are Christian, we work out of the Lordship of Christ. We're not working to get saved. We're not working to get right with God. We're working because we are saved and because God has made us right. Now, out of that, we are to produce for God. And I tell you right now, faith without work is dead, being alone. You can say you believe till Jesus comes back, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to give an account. And that's what our next thing is. I want you to read this stewardship passage with me. It's a, it's kind of a long, uh, uh reading, but I think it's, uh, very pertinent. Before we set the stage here, I want to tell you, after many years of marriage counsel, I've discovered that all too often the case, the cause of most financial strife is due to poor stewardship. I'm going to go even a step. Let me introduce a term to you. Financial adultery. People fight. Most of the time their fight is about stressing over money. Finance. Well, I ain't got enough money to pay for anything. Well, did God tell you to buy that? We run right into the credit system. We max out every, every piece of credit we can find. And then we gripe because we're paying the bill and we can't get nothing else new. 
We're maxed out on every credit card. We maxed out on every loan. We're maxed out. Well, I don't love my car. No more. It's got a dent in it. I want a new car. Well, you pay those other 78 payments and you can get you a new one. This is where we are right now. People are maxed. Young people, brand new couples just get just got married, got a four hundred thousand dollar house and two brand new vehicles. I, I, I do the math in my head. I know what things cost. I was like, wow, y'all gotta come up about six, seven thousand a month before you even eat. Wow. Good for you, I guess. Now, I wonder why marriages ain't lasting. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. 1 through 18, excuse me. Uh, there's a word here called stewardship. Now, in the Greek word, it's oikonim. Oikon, I cannot believe I'm stuttering to say this. It's oikonomos is the plural of it. Oikonomia. Uh, thank you. I slowed down and said it. It's where we get the word economy from. It's literally to manage your household. And look, I've found so many people who ain't got a clue where they are in their homes. They really don't. They ask me, how much you make? I don't know. You really don't know how much money you make? What, what are your bills? Um, I, I don't know. I'll give that to the old lady. She handles all that. Oh. Do you not know what you have coming in and what you have going? Do you not know what you're worth? You not know where you are financially? <clears throat> Listen to this great parable. He also said to his, now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's trying to teach the people who follow him. There was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that it, the man was wasting his goods. How would that, do you think you waste God's goods? I'm asking you. Let, let that just, Simmer while we talk about this. Do you actually waste God's goods? So he called him and said to him, what is it that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Wait a minute. God would take away our stewardship. Ooh. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do for my master's taking the stewardship away from me? I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I must be an American. I have resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Ooh. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. That's a sorry epitaph. It's a terrible story if you really get down to it. Here you got a slothful worker who wasted the master's goods. And when he found out he was being fired, he stole some more. So he would get favor with the people who were helped by his theft. The, the, the master, he said, that's pretty shrewd right there. Okay. Hope you enjoy it because now you can kick a Coke can down the road 
scratching your hungry fanny while you look for another job. But he's that, that's what folks do. That's what the world does. Now keep going. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what's another man's, who will give you what is your own? No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is what you're going to have to deal with now. When you, when you look at the idea of being a Christian, now re- remember, we're talking about the covenant of marriage and being a good steward. You're going to deal with your household economy and you're going to do it in a good way. This, he's looking at the world and saying, these were unrighteous men he was talking about. He was not talking about Christian behavior here. He said this guy was shrewd in his dealings in the world. And he said, and unrighteous, make friends of unrighteous mammon. He's not telling us to go out and, and be the world. He's not doing that. What he's showing it, he's given the great contrast now. He's saying, look, <clears throat> if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, why would God ever give you true riches? So could we understand or take away from this lesson that money ain't true with riches? I love the old saying that some people are so poor, all they have is money. That's a real thing that there are some I I look at Hollywood. Everybody wants to be like Hollywood. And I don't know why. This is the dumbest people you ever saw in your life. And they all are are literally uh, so discontent, they're billionaires, they've got so much money, they live glitz and glamour, and all they want, I, I mean, they kill each, they kill themselves, they fight, they, they, they're all doped up. What's wrong with them? Why didn't that money, glitz, glamour, fame, fortune, why did it do, never brought them peace, not a dime worth of peace. And so when we look at a home, and being a good steward over our home, I want to tell you, most of the problems in a home and the failure of, of, of your home's economy is setting out outside, setting up outside of God's parameters. This is what, where we fail. And this is where we mess up. As a matter of fact, when I, I believe that whenever he talks about mammon, I don't think it's just mean, it's literally a word. It could be a word for money, but I really believe he's talking about a principality, a, a, uh, like a general in the devil's army. Mammon. Unrighteous mammon. When we think about how obsessed we are with going and get some more money, that, that's all we think about. Money, we need some more money. We gotta make more money. We gotta get more money. And I don't know, I don't know where it all goes. But it's gonna go away. It takes wings and flies away. I don't know how it'll ever be enough, but let me tell you what true riches are. True riches is when you walk in that house and you, all you got is a little bit and you're happy and there's peace. Nobody's arguing. We're laughing. We're joyful. Huh? That's rich. That's riches. Huh? It's you, the poor man sitting there with a crust of bread, eating herbs uh, and, and eating just a little bit of whatever he can put together and is smiling with his family versus the rich man who's up in the big house screaming at the old lady. 
Huh? Hating life. Got more money, can count and don't know. All he wants is more money and thinks that's going to make it better. And, and they just can't be content. True riches in the home. If we will settle this in the foundation of our marriages to not get so leveraged in the credit system that all we can do is sell our soul to make more money. We can't even raise our children now because we have to have two family income, two person incomes. So well, who can afford a place? Well, I can tell you what, we can scale down and afford something. Scale down lower, keep scaling down until you can afford what you can afford. Well, I don't want to live like that. Well, then jump in the credit system and sell your soul and watch your kids have to struggle and, and, and wonder who's going to teach them next. Let the world teach them. Send them to the daycare school and to, to the school teacher. They want your kids at three years old now. They, want, they don't want you to have your kid for two seconds. Let us have your kid. Why? Because I need to make more money. Why? Because I got to pay my bills. Why? Because I got bills. Why? Because I wanted something. Why? Did God tell you to get that? Come on, man. These things, if you pursue it back down to, it ain't God's problem. It's yours. I remember I was talking to a missionary out in Mexico and he was, he said he had started building this building and, uh, he said, I was complaining to the Lord. There just wasn't no money coming in to finish the project. And said, God, I've been faithful to build this building. I, I'm working so hard to do this. And Lord, where are you? I need the financing to come in. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I'll tell you what, I'll fund my project. You fund yours. So he built him a building, but God didn't tell him to build it. I'll fund my projects. You fund yours. And we all want God to bless what we have done. We want to go out there and buy and buy and buy and say, God, let the money come in. Let the money come in. And that ain't how it works, folks. We're not living in a Christian economy. What we're doing, we're living in the world's economy and begging God to help us. So, well, that's and, and it's, it's really it's a really a terrible way to live. Where's the peace in that? Where's the true riches in that? This is where we lose our marriages. We forget about the love we had that put us together. Me and Diane got married. We had an old trailer. You should have seen our old mobile home. Boy, it was, it, look, that thing, it had cowboys and Indians on the door. <laughs> it was cool. Huh? It had so many holes in it. I, I didn't know. I mean, I was dumb in a box of hammers. I didn't know what to do. I bought this old trailer. I thought, man, I was doing good. Man, I gave about five times what it was worth. I said, like, uh-oh. But boy, I went to work and we fixed it up. We were so happy in that place. We were so happy there. Cost us $300 a month to live. $300 a month. Everything. Huh? We were so happy. I remember they were coming to turn one of our utilities on. We just moved in there and we were singing that old song. You got a love, a love, a love. You don't want to have fight every day. We were singing back and forth. And the man was at the door. He was going. <clears throat> we were so happy. Still are. But the fact is, folks, we lived inside of an economy. We just knew God said, oh, no man, anything but to love one another. We didn't go stretch ourselves out 
And it allowed us to be able to do whatever God told us to do. We could respond. I didn't have to go answer to the banker to do what God said do. There's an economy that God has, and it's different from man's economy. And stewardship is right on the top of that. I love what the Apostle Paul and how he thought. He said, as possessing all things, yet owning nothing. And we think ownership is everything. I got to own it. I got to get this. I got to have me one of these. I got to have me one. You ever notice that? You get that thing that you got. I got to have this thing. You get that thing and what? I got to have that thing. I got to have that thing. I got to have that thing. I got to have. You get that thing and you get. And now they're all like deer heads in your, in your garage. They're just hanging up everywhere and they're used for nothing. Huh? Everybody got a treadmill. Got to have a treadmill. Got to have a treadmill. Got to, well, a treadmill is a fancy laundry holder. Nobody use them. We just, we got to get them that we got to have this. I got to have this. See, this is covetousness. Look what the next thing it says. Now, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. See, religious people and lovers. I've been meditating on this a lot. Let me tell you something. There's a movement called the prosperity movement. It comes right out of the word of faith movement. That just the, the, the name it and claim it kind of prosperity gospel. And it's your best life now kind of thinking. There's one word for that. There's one verse for that. It's surely you have your reward. If this your best life is now, you ain't got nothing to look forward to. This is a false doctrine. We need to understand this is a lie. It's pie in the sky, lottery Christianity. And we live, well, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. I'm going to, we're just going to pray that God's going to transfer all their wicked with people's money into our, no, he's not. You're going to do that. Stop believing that stuff. You're a lottery. You're not playing the lottery here. All labor is rewarded. Work for it. Oh, God can open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that he can do that. But let me tell you something, folks. The natural, normal way is that you are a good steward. If you're faithful in the small things, let me think, man, if I won the lottery, Oh, I would buy, I would do things for the Lord. Then, No, you will not. If you won't do it with a $20 bill, you won't do it with $2 million. And you never lose sight of this. If he's put it in your possession, what must I do with it? He gave the 10 talents to one and five to another and, two, and one to another. And the ten with the one with ten traded and got ten more. The other one with five, he got five more. The one with one, he went and hid it. Lord, I'm scared of you. You know what? He, you know what? You know what the Lord called him? You wicked and slothful servant. Wicked. He called that wickedness not to increase what God gives to us. When God puts something in our possession, we should make it better. We should make it greater. We should make it bigger. It should produce. Our God is a great God. He's a productive God. And he demands that we bear fruit. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Begin to literally look at this and say, uh, the the small beginning, I'm not going to despise it. I don't walk over no penny and don't pick it up. The only way I refuse a penny is if it's some real gradu. I will not pick it up in some real nay-nay. 
It ain't worth berry berry. I can't I can't do this. The doctor bill would be worse. So I'm going to just leave that one. But you people just take that money. They just throw. I'm like, wait, hold that. I'm going to go. I'm out there scraping it up. I have found more money over the years. It's unbelievable. But then what will we do with that money? What are we going to do with it? When I was a a sinning man and I was sinful, boy, I bought every kind of liquor and every kind of drug I could get a hold to. Whatever I made, I smoked it down, popped it, drank it. I parted it. Boy, I went through it too. You hear me? I spent some money. When I became a Christian, I just figured I paid the devil all my money. So now I'd pay the Lord all my money. I ain't never quit thinking that way. Why not? If the if I can pay the devil to go party and put cocaine in my nose and smoke dope and 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 buy stuff from all these man, it's amazing I'm not dead. Then people we buy these darlings that were selling drugs. I mean, can you? They had a chemistry degree among everybody I knew. They making them drugs. Lord help us. When we get in church, you know, now we got to be good stewards. We can't spend all our money. Well, why not? I think you should do great things for God and spend great things on God. Now, I'm not talking about tithing to build some building. Please understand me. Don't build no buildings. Listen, people, listen, friends. You got to give to our building funds so we can get this building built for, cause this is the house of God. No, it ain't the house of God, nothing. Man, find you some poor people and give to the poor. Give to some fatherless and some widows and bless them. Look, all our money goes to the poorest of the poor. I don't want to give no money to a rich man. Why would I do that for? I have found the poorest of the poor. I love to give money to the poorest of the poor. I love to cast my bread upon the waters because I know after many days I find it again. I want to tell you that God has been our provider for 41 years and he ain't never quit yet. Boy, God is good. And he sees and he knows what we have need of. And he's always there and he's always on time. But I want to tell you what, the day we start holding back that finance so we can just kind of uh, be covetous. Look what he told him. Look, listen to what he said. <clears throat> the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Let me tell you something. Church folks are the worst lovers of money there are. Come on, say amen or ouch. He said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Now, this is interesting. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever, now watch, watch this. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who's divorced from her husband commits adultery. Why did he put that in there? It's almost like he changed subjects. I've scratched my head for years on this parable because first off, it looked like he was commending unrighteous behavior, but he wasn't. He was showing that the world is pretty shrewd in how they do business. But the children of God are pretty dumb on how we do business. That's what he was saying. We don't handle business properly. And then the Pharisees got all uppity (coughs) about this. And he said, you're those who justify yourself. (coughs) You see, 
Idolatry, adultery. He said you're covetous. Covetousness is idolatry. And literally, you start worshiping another God when all you can think of is how you're going to get your next money. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping mammon. You're worshiping a demonic spirit. <coughs> this will derail your home. This will derail your marriage. It'll derail your economy. Economy. Oikos, your house, economy, your house, goods, your house, administration. We're such poor stewards of our homes now. I'm telling you the word and the term financial adultery applies well here. There are those who are squandering their finance. Uh, look. Man, I, I hate to divulge too many things that I, I, I don't want anybody to think I'm leaking out any kind of counsel or whatever. But I, I've watched people, one, one part of the marriage is squandering money on whatever, racking up debt and bills and just doing whatever they want to do while everybody else struggles by. Stealing from their family. This is financial adultery. See, idolatry and adultery are, 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 are applicable here because let me tell you something. Adultery against God. You know, when God says you've gone a whoring after other gods, this was a common problem in the old covenant. And I tell you, it's a common problem in the new one. And the fact is, we, we begin to cheat on God. And we're not true to him about the finance. We're, we're true to ourselves. We start to, well, I'm going to build this and build that and we're going to use it for witnessing tools. No, we're not. No, you're not. You're going to play. I'm going to get a camp at the river and I'm going to go lead people to Jesus. No, you're not. You're going to ride in your boat and, 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 and ride around naked. You're going to go fishing and do nothing and just absolutely treat yourself all the time. You're going to spend $300 a day on gasoline for nothing. But won't I be a great witness? No, you won't be a great witness. What you'll be is a poor steward and financial adulterer. More homes are wrecked over poor stewardship. And all we do is stress over money. Stress, stress, stress over money. Never have enough. Well, you know what? If you don't have enough, start selling stuff. Shuck it down. Nothing sacred. Get rid of it. Sell it. Move it. What do you need it for? I mean, think it through, folks. More marriages derail right here. It interrupts our communication because all we do is stress over how we're going to pay the next bill. And if you think it's good stewardship that, well, I, I paid my water bill before the cutoff, uh, before they turned it off. You see, they ain't going to turn it off till next Tuesday, so it, it ain't due yet. It was due two months ago. You're so late, they're cutting you off. No, that's when it's really due when they're cutting you. Who moved the goalpost in your ignorant thinking? Folk come line up on counseling. They say, we need some help financially. I said, what for? They all walked in with a big goal. Bunch of them. I said, well, how often y'all do that? He said, well, we get, we like these big gulps. We get them pretty regular. I said, well, hey, you want to do the math? 
We started messing around. I did math with them folks. I showed them $600 a month in stupid money. I said, you know, if you just quit drinking big gulps, you could have a car. You know what they did? Got mad at me to how dare you take the luxury of a big gulp away from me. I said, well, you enjoy your big gulp and get you a hardened artery. If you call that the true riches. Die of a heart attack. I don't care. Look, it's not my house. Starve to death. Don't come over here asking me for some food. Big gulp. What, what kind of foolishness? And don't even start with cigarettes. Well, uh, you know, we can't pay the light bill. Well, we'll quit smoking. Well, I need to smoke. I, I, I just can't quit. Well, yeah, you can quit. I promise you can quit. I quit. It ain't nothing to that. You're not going to die if you don't put tar in your lung. You might live, actually. But I need these cigarettes. They ain't but $7 a pack. For real. Quit smoking and you'll smell better too. And you won't die when you, you know, just die. Uh, they put that hole in the oxygen mask and put your cigarette in it. What You see, again, just vice. And for, we talked about this last week with vice. Look, just being a good steward. We just squander money. We throw money everywhere. We're just doing all kind of foolish things. And we wonder why we can't make it. And a couple start fighting because we can't pay the bills. <laughs> My sister's saying amen on there. She's an accountant. I'll send her to y'all if y'all need some help. She'll help you. Yeah, he said, uh, you can no longer be steward. You're wasting your goods. So let me tell you what happened. God will just remove you from all stewardship. It just won't come in no more. Folks, if we, if, if we don't get foundationally right here and start right, you see, trying to come back from that is hard to do. What time? I don't know where I'm at. Okay, I'm going to end it with one more story. If you've made a mess of finance, let me tell you something. The prophet Elijah, Elisha, all right, they cried out to him. A widow cried out and said, Elisha, your, your, your servant, the prophet, was, uh, has died and he left us in debt. And now the creditors are coming. They're going to take our, everything we have and take my son's. The prophet said, what you got in your house? She said, I only have a little bit of oil and a cruise. He said, go out there and you borrow pots and pans from everybody. Go borrow vessels everywhere you can do. And he sent them out to borrow. Go get all you can find. Get them. Not a few. Boy, they went out and they hustling up. And he started pouring that oil and it just kept on pouring. It was a miracle. You see, I believe there's a miracle in liquidation. I really do. I've seen it so many times in my own life. It's like, why is this stuff sitting around here? Why do I have this? I don't use it. Liquidate. Sell it. Get rid of it. Move it. And I was amazing. Man, just money starts coming in. It's just really cool. But sometimes you just need to literally liquidate everything that God didn't tell you to get. 
do that. I, look, you know, well, Terry, you trying to take it. I don't want to take nothing you got. Help yourself. I don't care what you got or don't have. But don't be whining because you just can't pay your bills. And if you can't pay your bills, here's what you do. Sell everything. Then what? Start over. Start humble. Start a proper new beginning in a humble beginning. Quit being in financial adultery against God and your spouse. Be a good steward. Well, I'm going to quit. I got enough folk mad at me about this. and Money's a big deal. We're all chasing it. We're all trading it. Money answers every matter according to King Solomon. But I tell you right now, it ain't true riches. The true riches is contentment. The true riches is when God fills your heart. You're so full of Jesus that you have peace. And you have peace with your spouse and your children. And you have joy in your home. That's rich. God bless you. We'll talk next week. See you. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.